We're going to continue in the Gospel of John, and we're in chapter 12. We're going to pull back in a couple of verses and begin at verse 55 of chapter 11. So let's take a look back at what happened from the last time we were in John. An amazing event has taken place. A man has risen from the grave. The Lord has done a wonderful thing that he has raised Lazarus from the grave. People were astonished at the miracle he performed on Lazarus, and they also became followers of Christ. The text says that they seen what he did, and then they believed in the Lord Jesus. We looked at them as being those that were faithful. Then there was another group who did not believe in the Lord Jesus. And according to verse 46 through 53, they consisted of the high priests and the Pharisees, also known as the Sanhedrin. These Jews were the faithless ones who did not believe in the Lord Jesus despite the surmounting evidence they saw with their own eyes. Both had seen what the Lord had done. And to these faithless ones, to them, Jesus was a threat to their possessions and to their control of the people. They were afraid of the people believing in the Lord Jesus Christ as the Messiah. In a panic, they feared losing their privileges and status as a nation in the Roman Empire. They wanted to keep their control of the people. They were fearful that those who believed in Jesus as the Son of God would cause an uprising against the Romans, which would result in angering the Roman authorities that would lead to them coming and taking away their rights, their freedoms, their positions, and their political power. Listen to John 48, 1148. It states this about the Lord Jesus Christ. And here's what they're saying. If we let him go on like this, in other words, if we keep allowing him to persuade the people through the miracles he does, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come. They will come and take away both our place and our nation, they were comfortable with their possessions. And that's the number one reason why today people won't come to Christ. Because they're not willing to settle 
with the reality of having to give up everything for the sake of Christ. And so they say, to the one who is able to give them life, they say, no deal. And we see this continue. And so here it is. Those fears led to a response in verse 50 of chapter 11 from the high priest. And he didn't know what he was saying and what he was doing. But the priest saying, said these words, Jesus should die for the nation. It's the very thing he had been intending to do the whole while. He's come to give his life as a ransom for many. And so, yes, he would die. He would give his life as a ransom. Then verse 54 records their premeditated plans to put Jesus to death. Why? Because they were afraid that the Jews would believe in Jesus. And so in John 11:53 the text says, so from that day on they made plans to put him to death. And then verse 54 says, Jesus therefore no longer walked openly among the Jews, but went from there to the region near the wilderness to a town called Ephraim. And there he stayed with his disciples. So, where was Jesus staying? Come on, come on. Where was Jesus staying? Where was it? Ephraim. Come on. I'm, this is not a trick. <laughs> I'm not going to trick you, I promise. <laughs> so he was in Ephraim with his disciples. So that's the backdrop. He was with his disciples in Ephraim. He was out of mind, out of sight. Right? So here we are. We're approaching the text. Now that we have the backdrop of our text Let's read on from John 11.55 to John 12.11. Hear now the word of the living God. The flower fades. The grass withers. But the word of our God shall stand forever. And so we agree with the song we just sang. Speak. O Lord, and the word we're able to receive from all of what God has given us through his word, we're able to have our minds open to receive. Now hear the, the word of God. Now the Passover of the Jews was at hand, and many went up from the country to Jerusalem before the Passover to purify themselves. And they were looking for Jesus and saying to one another as they stood in the temple, What do you think? That he will not come to the feast at all? Now the chief priests and the Pharisees had given orders that if anyone knew where he was, he should let them know so that they might arrest him. Then in John 12.1, he continues, Six days before the Passover, Jesus therefore came to Bethany where Lazarus was, 
whom Jesus had raised from the dead. So they gave a dinner for him there. Martha served, and Lazarus was one of those reclining with him at the table, at table. Mary, therefore, took a pound of expensive ointment made from pure nard and anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. The house was filled with the fragrance of the perfume. But Judas Iscariot, one of his disciples, he who was about to betray him, said, Why was this ointment not sold for 300 denarii and given to the poor? He said this, not because he cared about the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. Jesus said, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. For the poor you will always have with you, but you do not always have me. When the large crowd of the Jews learned Jesus was there, they came, not only on account of him, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. So the chief priest made plans to put Lazarus to death as well, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away and believing in Jesus. Let's pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. We pray now that your word would indeed speak to us by your spirit. We pray that you would give clarity and understanding that we might know the more that we might obey you and live for you forward as we leave this place. May you be glorified in all that we say and do. Help us, dear Lord. We pray that even the little children will be able to understand your word. Give clarity to them. We pray for the one who do know you that today might be that day that they would Claim you as Lord and as their God and would say, what must I do to be saved? Let them today choose you and be saved on the basis of your word. Father, we thank you. May your word go out now. Reach us where we are. Speak to us individually and collectively that we might indeed be the people of God and may love reign in us. That we might always be known as those who are the called out ones, those that love one another. We ask these prayers in Jesus' name and the church said, Amen.
So today's sermon is entitled, Devotion, the Aroma of Sacrifice Revealed Through Acts of Love. I have four points. Point number one, the growing hostility against the Lord. Point number two, Mary's devotion to the anointed Christ. Point number three, Judas' evil intentions and the Lord's defense. And point number four, the curious crowd and the chief priests. And they're going to be listed as I go, go through them. Point number one, the growing hostility against the Lord. And this is found in verses 55 through to 12. Uh, chapter 12, verse 2. And according to our text, the Passover is near. And the Jews are preparing for that day, keeping in mind to be on the lookout for the Lord Jesus Christ. The tension was growing. People had already begun to believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and the high priests have come to the conclusion that he must die. He must die. Look out for him. And so the tension is rising. And here it is. The Lord is out of sight. But they're looking for him. And at this point, Jesus decides to no longer walk openly among the Jews, but instead went to Ephraim to stay with his disciples there. And then after that, after staying with his disciples, at this moment, even though he's out of mind and out of sight, they're still intending to try to kill Jesus if they can just get their hands on him. So in the meantime, six days before the Passover meal, the Lord left Ephraim and went to Bethany. And while he was in Bethany, Martha organized everything. She's such a good organizer. We always see Martha in the text busy doing things that are good. And here it is, Martha again has organized everything so that the Lord and Lazarus would have an enjoyable time at dinner. And Martha, Martha served well, didn't she? She served well. She had a servant's heart. You can hear her while everyone's talking. Can I get everybody's attention? Oh, okay, okay. Dinner is ready. Y'all come and come and get it while it's hot. Right? We can just, we can just see that personality. 
We've seen it before. We see it in Martha. Come on now. Hey, hey, stop, stop. Come on, children. It's time to eat. Right? In this case, the children was the disciples. <laughs> Y'all come eat. So we, we know people like that, don't we? And we know that these kinds of people really care about other people. And they do things so that they might be cared for. And we see this in Martha. And so as I think about this and I think about Martha and how she serves, I think about Brother Daniel, who is our only deacon, right? You will always see him working and being busy and serving and setting up and helping out, talking to people, getting to the bottom of things so that people would get what they Need. He faithfully serves the family here at GBC. I think about Alina who makes sure that our fellowship meals are arranged and organized and prepared so that we might enjoy food and fellowship. And I, I think about my pastors, Pastor Aaron and Pastor Josh. They've sacrificed a lot. They sacrificed many hours to give themselves to the work of the ministry. They take their roles as shepherds very seriously and have served the GBC family well. They love God's People, even when God's people are unloving to them, sometimes the shepherd gets bitten by the sheep. But love allows us to overcome those things. Family, I don't have time to name all of you who have a servant's heart but the elders want you to know that we see you. We see you. We see the work you're putting in and sacrifices you're making, and we love you for it. Look at what we have done together. Considering all that we've went through this year, and here we are, remaining faithful, All because we're willing to serve one another because we believe we owe it to one another. Because of the love that we have received ourselves. And so let us continue in thanking God for one another. The text says they gave a dinner. Sounds like a fellowship meal. They gave a dinner for two of the the guests, the honored guests. Martha served the two guests of honor. Lazarus was at the table with the Lord. Mary was there too. But she may have been focusing on what she was about to do. Mary may have had her mind on something else. This is a reminder that one day as believers... 
We will be with Christ and share with Christ in that great celebration, and we will have a meal together. We're going to to be with Christ. We have the great privilege of serving one another every time we come through those doors. What a great privilege it is for us to come and serve one another. And here it is, God has been sustaining us for over 17 years. And here we are, still standing by the grace of God. And so, in this 26th verse of this same chapter, the Lord says this, If anyone serves me, he must follow me, and where I am, there my servant will be also. If anyone serves me, the Father will honor him. What a great privilege. Paul states in 2 Corinthians 4 and 5, For what we proclaim is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, with ourselves as your servants for Jesus Christ. So we're getting our motivations for the reasons why we serve one another. So our service is not dependent upon how people treat us. The object of our service is Christ. And so we give ourselves to Christ, and every now and then we may be bruised, we may be hurt, we may have to go through persecution, but we're doing it for the sake of Christ because he loved us. He loves us. And so our service to one another ought to be our acts of love towards God. One writer states, the important point is that love is a virtue, not an emotion. Christians are not encouraged to feel warmly about each other or even to like one another. They are instructed to act lovingly toward one another. And then he says this Thus, Paul's description of love in 1 Corinthians 13 speaks about what love does, how it acts, not how it feels, unquote. That's how love operates, and we see it even with the Christ who went to a cross for people who were unloving who were dead in trespasses and in sin, and yet the Christ would go out of love for the Father and for those whom he would save through himself. This leads us to, into our next point, point number two. Mary's devotion to the anointed Christ. The Scripture In verse 3, the Scripture teaches all believers about loving God. We're planning ourselves in verse 3. 
The scripture teaches all believers about loving God and how love ought to be expressed in worshiping him and through personal devotion. In John's gospel, we're learning more and more about Mary. And in this portion of our text, Mary demonstrated her love and her devotion to the Lord our God by the use of an, a very expensive ointment made from pure nard. In other words, Mary was willing to give up her possessions, her, her valuable possessions. She was willing to, to lose her possessions for the sake of Christ. And so, one of the reasons this very expensive ointment was costly was because it wasn't easy to get. This particular fragrance had to be brought in from India. And Mary and her family loved the Lord and was very devoted to Christ and wanted to learn from him as often as she could. You remember when Mary and Martha was receiving the Lord and Martha was saying, Lord, will you tell her to help me? I have all of these things that I have to do. And what did the Lord say? He said, Mary had chosen the better of the two. And here it is. We see the same kind of things happening. Martha served the meal. And here is Mary again. Here is Mary again evaluating the scenario and is weighing to see where she's going to spend her time because the Lord is here. The master is here. The master teacher is amongst us. And here it is Mary, who, who loves the Lord, he was her Lord and her God. And here it is, Mary and her family loved the Lord and was very devoted to Christ and wanted to learn from him the more. He was her teacher. He was the one who cried with her when her brother Lazarus had died. He said, where, where is he? The text tells us that the Lord wept. He brought himself to her. Even though he was going to raise Lazarus up, he, he essentially laid down with Mary and cried with her. And here it is. She's with him again. He was the one who cried with her, but he also was the one who raised her brother up from the dead. He was her Lord and her God. Whether she knew it or not, she was preparing him for his burial. The Lord is on his way to the cross. We're looking at a couple of days, and he's going to be put on a cross, according to John. And so, essentially, Mary is preparing him for death because in a couple of days, the Lord would be put on the cross to die for sin 
and then be buried. But she loved him enough to pour out her expensive ointment on her Lord to express her love for him. She gave him her best. She didn't give him some cheap perfume. She went and got the best. And she poured it on him. And gave him her precious ointment that cost about a year's wages. And she poured it out on the master's feet so that she might anoint him. That she might recognize him as someone who is different, who is not like the world. She wanted to show that he was important to her. But do you know why she did this for him? She she did this him because she came to the conclusion that he was worth it. Right? I don't believe she would have done this for anyone, but she felt that he was, he was worth it. She didn't save it for her own use, but instead she wanted to demonstrate her love, her devotion, and her deep affection for the Son of God. And so she took a pound of expensive pure spikenard and poured it out on the master's feet. And according to Matthew and Mark, Mary had already anointed his head. And now John adds this bit of information by way of the Spirit and adds that she also anoints his feet. What does this mean? It means that Mary has anointed the Lord's head and feet to show how precious the Lord is to her. Mary took her hair down, which is not normal for decent women. Decent women in their culture would not drop their hair down. So, so as you can see, this is, this, is un, this is very unusual, which points back to its significance. An anointing is a special act that reveals the uniqueness of the person and the work of the Lord Jesus Christ. This also demonstrates her devotion to the Lord. To show the superiority of Christ, she takes down her hair in a spirit of humility and starts to wipe the Lord's feet with her own hair. She begins doing what servants do. She felt that she was a servant to her master whom she loved. She doesn't use the standard method. Instead, she uses her hair. She didn't grab a nice, clean towel. She unbunned her hair, dropped her hair, and used her hair as a means of showing her devotion. 
This was Mary's aroma of sacrifice revealed through an act of love. Mary expressed unrestrained devotion to her Lord. She didn't try to fix her clothes or whatever. She went and worked. She went and dropped. She went and served. And there's a beauty about that. Right? So as believers, we are, we are commanded to love God with all of ourselves. And in Matthew 22, 37 and 38, Jesus explains how one must love. You, you know it. He states, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. That is the great and first commandment. If we want to know how to love God, we must look to the scriptures. Loving God includes loving the Son of God. Loving God includes loving his word, sacrifice, giving, obedience, loving, and blessing others. All of these includes loving God because they are tied to the first and greatest command. So, why is it even possible for Christians to love? How, how is that even possible that Christians are able to love? The answer, a familiar answer you already know, is in 1 John 4. The reason why we are able to love and the world cannot love. The reason why we are able to love God is because God loved us first. First John 4.19 says, we love because he first loved us. There's no other way we can love God. No one can love God apart from God. The Lord demonstrated his love by way of a cross when he became the substitute and he took our place. He was the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. When he gave his life as a ransom for the many, it showed his devotion to the Father and to us in that while we were sinners, in obedience to the Father, Christ died. And so, do you remember what the Lord says in John 10.10? He says, the thief comes only to steal and to kill and to destroy. I came that they may have life us and have it abundantly. And so, how, how will you show more of your devotion to God? What will you do better? What are you wanting to improve on? What areas of your spiritual walk you'd like to grow up in? We see it in the life of Mary. And so it's an encouragement application for us. We, are, we all have weaknesses 
but we all want to grow up spiritually. And so it's a reminder to us to be looking for opportunities to grow up in the Lord. Leads us to point number three. Judah's evil intentions and the Lord's defense. Um, Sometimes when there is evil, it appears to look or sound strange, right? Sin has a way of standing out where we're able to realize that something's wrong with that. And we have one of those moments in the text. You're looking at verses 4 through through 8. Um, we see a strange thing happening. We can learn how in this high moment where Mary is demonstrated, demonstrating her devotion to the Lord by anointing him, showing the significance of the occasion, but Judas is concerned about the money. Right, this is, this is way up there. This is a, a high moment in the text where we're able to see an act of devotion, an act of love, an act of sacrifice for the Lord our God. It's a high moment. But here it is. Judas is concerned about the money. In an attempt to cover it up, he adds a point so that he might use this point of reference so that it can look like he cares about the poor. But by way of the Holy Spirit, John gives clarification. Right? John, we see John's revelation, his revealing of the the text and what he understands and he, he interprets it for us. Judas was never motivated to serve the poor. Judas had ill intentions. And John lets us know of that. We see this in verses 4 and 5. We see John's revealing Judas' intent saying in verse 6, also as well where it's pretty clear he said this, not not because he cared, Judas, not because he, he didn't say anything about wasting it or whatever, using it for the poor. He says, he didn't say this not because he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief. And having charge of the money bag, he used to help himself to what was put into it. It's as if John knew, or if he's seen Judas taking money and putting it in his own pocket. And so, then we see in verse 7, the Lord defends Mary's actions. He defends her sacrifice. He commends her for what she is doing. And so he says, leave her alone so that she may keep it for the day of my burial. Judas disapproves of Mary's actions, but the Lord defends her and acknowledges her actions by commending her. 
And in verse 8, the Lord is looking onward. He is on his way to the cross, and Mary again has chosen that which is better. Being with and anointing the feet of the master is better than serving the poor on any day. Here again, and this is not to put one against the other. They're both good, but one is better. And and Mary have chosen the better again. And so we see this difference again between the faithful and the faithless. We see it in Mary, who is being faithful, and we see it in Judas, who is being faithless. It's not showing faith. So the question for us or point of application could be, how do we plan to pour out ourselves for the Lord? How can we pour out ourselves? Right? Have you ever thought about that? Pouring yourself out for the Lord? What does that look like? Is that, is that something that happens on your job? Where, where no matter what the supervisors say, God being your object, you're going to work hard not to be a men pleaser, but for the glory of God. Young people, what does it look like when you're doing your homework and you're fed up and you don't want to do any more homework? Who's your object for your homework? Is it for your own pleasure or is it for the glory of God? You see, we, we, have, we all have something we can do and we can change. We want to often evaluate ourselves to see what can we do for the glory of God. To always to be abounding in the faith. Right? So, that's a part of our persevering. Pouring out. Only those who persevere to the end will receive the blessed grace of God. Listen to Spurgeon. Spurgeon states, the saints prove their conversion by their perseverance. Right? And that perseverance comes from a continual supply of divine grace to their souls, unquote. That's a similar way of saying what the Lord says in Matthew 5, 16. Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good work and glorify and give glory to the Father who is in heaven. The faith that is in us all will shine only by the grace that is in us all. Therefore, we also ought to let our light shine through Christ our Lord. And lastly, next we see the sharp contrast in our next couple of verses taking us to our final point in the message the curious crowd, and the chief priests. Verse 9, 
When the large crowd of Jews learned that Jesus was there, they came not only on the account of him, meaning the Lord, but also to see Lazarus, whom he had raised from the dead. Like many people today, the curious crowd did not come mainly to see Jesus, but they wanted to see Lazarus, who was once a dead man, but then brought back to life. One writer says that curiosity is one of the most common and powerful motives in man. The love of seeing something sensational and out of, out of the ordinary is almost universal, unquote. When people hear some amazing story, they want to be validated. They want to be clear. They want to know if it's true. So you can imagine the people hearing about this dead man. And people are traveling. I want to see. Some of them have seen him in the desert do his work and provide fish sandwiches for thousands. And you said he now raised a dead man? The curious crowd came. They wanted to know, is this in fact true that a dead man have risen from the dead? It's an extraordinary story to hear about in this time period. It's never again. It's never happened again. It's never been done. But despite the overwhelming evidence they heard and saw, with their own eyes, they rejected it and instead plotted to get rid of the evidence that led to the Jews coming to faith and believing in the Lord Jesus. And at that moment, Lazarus was put on their most wanted list to die. Look again at verse 10. It states, so the chief priests made plans to put Lazarus to death as well. Notice the faithless ones who, who heard, saw, and experienced the miracle of Lazarus to be brought back to life still did not believe. They suppressed the truth to believe the lie. This again shows that without faith, mankind is dead in the water and hopeless at the bottom of the sea and is depraved in every respect, their hearts were heartening the more. They lacked faith in the one and only true and living God who has the power to save them from their sin. Therefore, the chief priest planned to put Lazarus to death because people were leaving and people were believing in Jesus. So, they wanted to get rid of the evidence. Essentially, they said, let's kill him too. Lastly, verse 11 states, because on account of him, many of the Jews were going away, believing in Jesus. You see the threat? According to John, there were many Jews coming to faith in the Lord Jesus and believing in him 
Jesus revealed himself as the Son of God and demonstrated it through signs and wonders. And as a means of grace, he saved those who believed in him. He caused blind eyes to see. And on that day, some of the Jews saw and the eyes of faith, through the eyes of faith, and they believed in him and were saved. If there's anyone here today who do not know the Lord as your personal Lord and Savior, you can know him by believing that he died, he was buried, and that he rose again from the grave. That's called the gospel. That's the angelion. That's the good news. No works, faith. Come to Christ. Know him today. But first, we considered two people, Mary and, and Judas. Then we considered two groups, the curious crowd and the chief priests. But the thing that divides them all is whether or not they possess faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. Family, may we, like Mary, devote ourselves to Christ with an unwavering attitude of devotion that sends upward the aroma of sacrifice Revealed through acts of love. And here, here's another thing. Don't worry about what you are and where you are. That's not the final point. But rather focus on what you can be and what you can become. Start today. Amen? <laughs> 